0: Thanks for tuning in to the Brooks Free Library Podcast. My name is Emily Mylan. I'm the Assistant Director here at Brooks, and I'll be hosting the Know Your Town series. The Know Your Town podcast series is a cooperative effort of the Brooks Free Library and the Town of Harwich Voter Information Committee. We invited the heads of each town department to join us to answer some questions about operations, how COVID impacted their workflow, budget questions, and just general information that would be helpful for the public to know. So grab your coffee and settle in. We'll be back in just a moment with today's guest. Welcome back, podcast listeners. Today I'm joined by Harwich Fire Department Chief Dave LeBlanc. Thanks for joining me today, Dave.
1: Thanks for having me, Emily.
0: Yeah, I'm excited. So before we jump into the big four questions, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your history at the fire department.
1: OK, so I started um, in 1993. I started uh, the department used to do its own dispatching. So I was hired uh, as a firearm operator in 93. And I had some medical issues that I was able to clear up. And in 2000, uh, Chief Peterson, God rest his soul, uh, saw a fit to let me transfer out of the firearm office to the to the floor, as I call it, as a firefighter and um, kind of the rest is history. I, I never really expected to be sitting where I'm sitting today. Um, I would have been happy because I never thought I would be a firefighter, just working 32 years as a firefighter and retiring. So to be sitting here leading this department that, that all those great chiefs before me um, led is, is kind of a cool thing. And uh, you know, my goal is just to keep doing what I can do to make the place better. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I think if we don't always try and improve, we're, we're losing an opportunity and you know, we have some great people here and, prepare us for the future. So when my time is done, the next people can step up and take over.
0: Well, that's great. I think that working in the various like uh, sections of the fire department and dispatch and as a firefighter really gives you a great perspective, like a historical perspective of the operations of the department and how the different um, subgroups work together. So that's, you know, really helpful experience. And
1: yeah. And, and I had worked, you know, I was a call firefighter and dentist, and I, I was uh, on the fire department down in Connecticut when I went to college. So I'd had, you know, I'd had some time where I had done both sides of it, which, um, ironically when I was dispatching, I think helped me a lot in that role. And, um, cause I understood what went on on the other side of the radio really well cause I had done it. Um, but certainly, you know, having having that knowledge of all aspects of it, you know, helps. The more we know about anything, the better we're going to be at, at what we do. Hopefully, that's you know at least the goal. Um, so yeah, it's it, you know, it, it's it's an interesting it's been an interesting ride to get here, and you know, we're just going to keep working to to serve the community and make the place better.
0: Yeah, that's great. It sounds like um, you have a lot of experience that you bring to the table, not just here in Harwich, but in in other departments, and that's fantastic. Uh, So I think most of our listeners are familiar with some of the basic mission, you know, uh, and responsibilities of the fire department. We see ambulances and fire engines out on runs, responding to motor vehicle accidents, or fires, or other emergency calls. But give us a little bit more background about all of the different roles you play, and um, specifically, if you could talk a little bit about how the pandemic impacted your operations over the last year.
1: So yeah, so I wanted to take uh, a a minute because this is great. You know, for me, this is an opportunity to kind of explain to everybody, you know, how their fire department works. This is your fire department. So. You know, I think everybody always thinks, you know, they see the fire station this huge building. They think that there's you know 30 people working here at all times. And you know, the reality is we start each day, uh, each shift is assigned, has eight firefighters assigned. We work out of two stations. So the station on Sisson Road, uh, that's attached to the police station, and or the police station's attached to we were here first. So I like to look at it that way. And then the the substation or station two, which is brand new. Uh, we just finished building Chief Clark uh capstone project for his career, um, out in East Harwich by the stop and chop. So there's three, uh, there's a Lieutenant and two firefighters at station two and there's a captain and three firefighters at headquarters at a minimum. There could be four firefighters. If everybody comes to work, nobody's off on vacation or sick leave or anything else. But, you know, what happens really quickly is as soon as we go out the door on an ambulance call, that staffing drops. And the average ambulance call a routine ambulance call is the ambulance is out of town for or out of service for a minimum of 90 minutes because you figure they have to go to the call pick the patient up drive to hyannis leave the patient at the hospital and then drive back to harwich so there's like 90 minutes usually closer to two hours that 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 ambulance is out so if you look at the scenario in headquarters there's four people working three of them get on the ambulance the captain is by themselves or at station two the station is empty So what ends up happening is we hire firefighters back to cover the station because at the end of the day, we have two goals. We need to meet the call that came in and then be ready for the next call that comes in. So this is, you know, one of the questions we always get. And and I don't I don't get offended by questions like this because I understand people want to know. But, you know, why is our overtime budget so high? It takes a lot of overtime to maintain that staffing so that we're always ready for the next call. You know, American Heart Association says four to six minutes without oxygen is uh, causes brain damage. Um, fires double in size every thirty seconds to a minute, especially uh, with today's modern materials, you know, plastics and everything that are in there. So, any delay in getting people to your emergency ultimately leads to a worse outcome. So, that's kind of how like a, a normal day goes. You know, then we have the the rest of the other calls that come in, which are automatic fire alarms and carbon monoxide detector activations and and all those things that, um, you know, put a a pretty significant demand on, on the resources. Um, So we can, we can be really busy at times for for a small department. We get, we get a lot of bang for our buck uh, with the way we operate and, you know, to have that full-time staffing to meet that need would require significantly more firefighters, which ultimately there's, you know, more costs in terms of benefits and health insurance and retirement and all those things. So it's it's kind of a good mix. Um, yeah, the overtime is, is higher than some people would like to see it, but it also uh, prevents us from hiring more full-time people, which would lead to benefits and things, uh, that that part of the budget going up. So, you know, with COVID, ironically, our call volume dropped. And it took us all kind of a, a little while to figure that out. But people were so concerned about um, people interactions, about going to hospitals, about having you know people come into their houses that our calls stopped. And, and what really got concerning for us was we deal with, we deal with a lot of people that are really sick and those people stopped calling the ambulance. And we were really concerned that there was gonna come a point when all of a sudden they got really, really sick and it was gonna be hard to deal with them. but. Uh, so we had a lull, probably six weeks, where we went down. We went. Uh, so I use March 13th as a, as kind of the goalpost. March 13th was when the um, state of emergency was declared, and up until March 13th, we had done 66 more runs than we had done the year before in that same time period. So January 1st to March 13th. From March 13th to April 13th we had done hundred runs less than we had done the previous year. So we went, there was 166 run or incident swing from the year before in that six week period or in that one month period. And then we slowly started to come back out of, of that depression, but every aspect of our job changed just the same. We, um, while we've always used some level of PPE or personal protective equipment, Masks were not unusual to us, but we didn't use them on every call or or even that frequently. Masks, goggles, gowns, Tyvek suits, you know, treating every call almost like it was a hazardous materials incident was really way out of the norm for us. And it created a lot of anxiety internally. I think, um, you know, you can probably attest to Emily, your department, there was some anxiety of dealing with people and how everything went. And we had that same level, you know, you're you're locked in the back of a, a eight square foot or a 20 square foot box, from Harwich to Hyannis with somebody who has an d- illness that we know very little about. There was definitely a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. internally. And, and it's kudos to the, the people that work here that they um, took care of each other. They took care of themselves and each other and really became their own counseling and, and sounding board um, to kind of work through a lot of those issues
0: absolutely we definitely saw some psychological impacts from from that and and the concern over that and and i was hearing a lot in the media too about you know to to your previous point about um the drop in calls you know that's alarming to some extent that people who might be in serious need of medical attention are afraid to get it and um, what the long term implications of that could be for their own individual health. So,
1: and, and I think um, the other piece, right, for us is that you know, we, we come to work, we expect to do our job. You know, no one wants to see anything bad happen to anybody, but we know at the end of the day, there are people that are going to call for the ambulance, they're going to call for the fire department for whatever their needs are. And the waiting, you know, almost for the other shoe to drop was worse than I think we would rather been doing calls. So, that created some anxiety. And then internally, you know, the firehouse is our second home. It's always been our second home. It's our second family. And the change in how we had to interact with each other, you know, we set capacities for rooms. So, the, so the kitchen in those areas, we, you know, there was only a certain number of people allowed in there. And and so we lost a lot of our, you know, imagine going home and, and not being able to be in the same room with your husband or with your kids for an extended period of time. And that's what our, our, our days became. So now we're, waiting to go on calls that aren't coming in. And we can't do the things that we normally do in between calls because we're supposed to stay away from the people in case they have COVID. So it just really was, it, it was really a, a tough period for us, um, but it also gave us some really unique opportunities to help the community. Uh, and we talked about this a little bit before was, um, you know we started doing some things that I never thought in my life I would see the fire department do, but it was kind of really cool yeah. to do them like the, like the birthday parades. And unfortunately, as yes. we started getting busier, we had to curtail those um, just because it wasn't we didn't have the resources available. But being able to have a little bit of an impact on people's day during the covid crisis was, uh, you know, it was really, you know, I know uh, Chief Clark said it um, and I agreed with him. We tried to participate in every one that we could because it made us feel good. It, it was in a time when everything was going wrong for everybody else that we could just have a little impact on people's lives. And and that was that was a lot of fun, certainly not something that I ever would have said we would have been doing as a fire department. But, um, you know, I, I guess when I look at our mission statement and what it is, and you know, our job is to serve the community. That's what the community needed. So that's what we did.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that really speaks to the heart of the fire department and the role that you guys play as community helpers and a cornerstone of the community. And um, you know, that was really fun to watch and to be a part of. And it and it did. It helped lift spirits and it just kind of kept everybody up, you know, uplifted. It was sick. I think that's a good lead into our next question, actually, because um, I think another example of how the fire department acts as a Community Cornerstone is your interaction with other community organizations. You guys do a lot throughout the year with uh, Homeless for the Holidays and the Fill the Boot campaigns and countless other community outreach programs. Um, I know that you also provide backup and support coverage for neighboring town departments. There are just a lot of ways that you work with outside agencies and organizations. But I think our Harwich listeners would be really interested in learning more about how you interact with other town departments. So as well.
1: you know, it's it's every chief before me has has been a strong um, proponent of this, and it's certain certainly something I believe strongly. And you know, we we're not one department; we're one town. So. Whatever you know, we've really felt strongly always that whatever the other town departments need, we're going to try and get it done. And whether that be fixing the you know the flag at the harbor master's office, or helping the the uh, maintenance division change lights at White House Field, or you know anything, we, whatever it needs, you know, I, I always my goal is always to say yes, not to say no. It's really easy to say no to somebody. My you know, it may take us a while to get to yes but I don't want to start with no, I want to start with yes. And let's figure out how to get it done. So we've, we've always kind of done that, you know, obviously there's some, um, direct, uh, correlations with other departments that we have, like the Harbor master's office. We help, uh, John Rendon, uh, with the boat staff, the boat, um, in terms of, so we can handle water emergencies. We have people here that are trained to operate the boat, or we at least just provide crew for them. Um, we work, you know, well with the water department in terms of uh, their needs, whatever they may be, and the, and and likewise, and you know, the town departments help the town departments, and always have, and and sometimes it's uh, little things like we had talked before about, you know, some reading programs or whatever. You know, if we can just provide bodies to to get something done, uh, we have a very extensive um, program with the schools and with the seniors. They're both called the safe program. One senior safe and one's just safe safe program and the safe program, which are senior safe is is for the seniors and safe programs through the schools. Captain Leanne Smith uh, works with the state. We get a grant every year to help fund those. The senior safe program involves home visits and safety checks and smoke detector installations and just making sure that our vulnerable population is taken care of, from the seniors' perspective, that vulnerable population. And then the safe program gets the does the schools, and we go all the way from uh, the elementary school doing fire prevention programs. We'd get the uh, fire prevention trailer down here and, and let them crawl through a, a smoked out trailer so they can see what it's like to doing docudramas with the uh, tech school or the high school so that the you know we're affecting the seniors as they get toward prom time and making sure that you know the, the hazards of drinking and driving are, are explained. So you know, really, it, it, our goal is always, the fire department's goal is always kind of twofold. We respond to emergencies, and I think everybody, every fire chief would say, you know, in a perfect world, we would never go to an emergency, but that's a necessary function that we provide. But our other piece is, is to educate the public on how to be safer, you know, through fire prevention. Bruce Young is, is works um, with the building department and with the ins- other inspectional agencies to make sure that properties are safe, commercial buildings are safe. He does resale inspections. So we're we're in the community in a bunch of different ways. And, and all of them that are, are geared towards safety. Some of them are reactionary, some of them are preventative. So it's, um, you know, it's great, but it, it, you know, it's, this is an awesome town and, and the the town departments work together really well. I think you would admit, I would hope you would admit, one of the things I kind of miss with the whole COVID thing is department head meetings and and that once a month when we all got to get together and and, you know, laugh, tell jokes, but also, you know, conduct the business of the town and, Doing it via Zoom call is just not quite the same thing um, as it was.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree that in-person opportunity just to share some of the new programs or initiatives that each department is, is getting started on um, is a really helpful function of those department head meetings. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned a lot of great things. Some of, some of them I wasn't you know aware of the SAFE um, seniors or the SAFE program, so it was really great to learn about those. Um, I don't want to leave out the fact that the fire department has been instrumental on a yearly basis in a host of library related things, but um, in transporting Santa to the library for his um, visit with Santa program. So we always appreciate that. That was something I definitely missed last year um, due to the lack of in-person programs. But I'm sure at some point as we find our new normal, yeah, and, look at And we also, we've add,
1: been known to give Santa a ride down to Harwich Port for the, the Chamber of Commerce for the stroll. So, yep. you know, there's another organization that we work, well, not a town department, but we work a lot with Cindy Williams and Chamber of Commerce um, with, you know, whether it's Cranberry Harvest Festival or the parade or the fireworks or all those things. You know, to me, it, the community is what makes this town work and whatever we can do to to make that happen is... You know, is is important that we, we that we accomplish. You know that that's at the end of the day, we serve the community. It may not be in your typical fire department way, but it's just as important, in my mind, that we get it done.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So we've talked a lot so far about the services that you provide and community outreach and how you fit into the organizational structure of the town. But I know one question that's always on the minds of voters relates to the financial piece of the puzzle. So each town department has a unique set of budgetary requirements and demands that range from salary expenditures um, and overtime, which you discussed a little bit already, to operational costs and capital costs, which we talked about Station 2 in East Har, which is one of those, you know, long-term capital projects that has just recently been wrapped up. Um, so the flip side of that financial coin is that departments also have a variety of revenue sources. Some departments have funds that are allocated at the town level, county level, state level. Uh, some have access to grants or other sources of income. So can you highlight some of those important aspects of the fin- financial piece? Sure. The fire so um,
1: the fire department, so it's, traditionally fire departments are, are uh, the revenue or the tax are funded through taxes. Um, because we have the ambulance, um, which is, is now becoming more prevalent throughout the United States, but uh, fire departments running the ambulance or ambulance service have the ability to bill for that ambulance transport. So our main source of revenue um, is ambulance billing. However, that ambulance billing goes to the general fund. So the fire department is budgeted and then whatever, we do, whatever revenue is generated from, from ambulance billing goes to the general fund. So it's not like we're offsetting directly. It's kind of in a roundabout way it does go back to the general fund and that's used to help fund that budget for the following year um we have very always been very aware of the impact of the cost of the fire department operation and unfortunately our capital projects are expensive replacing fire engines and ambulances is a lot of money so we've always tried to wherever we could um, use grant programs that are available to uh, offset some of those expenses, so they're not impacting the capital um, budget. That being said, our operating budget is also yeah, that- um, tends to be one of the highest. We're one of the bigger departments, you know, police, fire, DPW tend to have the most people, and people cause uh, the operating budget to be the highest. So I think if you look at our budget, I believe uh, roughly 90 ish percent of our budget is salary and wages. That's a huge percentage of budget. Um, our expenses, relatively speaking, are minor compared to the, you know, the salary piece of the, of our budget. But for capital, we've, um, so like in the last three years, we've actually received federal grants. Uh, The first year we received it to replace and upgrade all of our nozzles. So how we apply the water to the fire, those nozzles and how we hook up to the hydrants. So when we go to a fire, there's a big piece of yellow hose that goes between the fire hydrant and the truck. And there's a valve on both ends. We were able to replace the hydrant valves and the intake valves that go on the engines, plus all the nozzles. It was a great opportunity to standardize our fleet. So we bought all the same nozzles for, for all the engines. So everything was the same. And all those valves were all the same. So that was a, a great opportunity. The following year, we received a grant. Same, uh, It's from FEMA. It's called the FIRE Act Grant. We were able to receive a grant to replace all our auto extrication tools. So people have heard of the jaws of life. When you get in a car accident, we have to force a door or cut the roof off. We use the jaws of life. They're now the technologies come so that they're actually battery operated. They our tools use a DeWalt 20 volt uh, rechargeable battery. It's actually amazing the power that these tools have. And the advantage is we don't have to get the fire truck as close to the incident now because the tools are completely portable. So we we're able to replace all those on uh, both vehicles, both the engines. And um, we we'll are also replace our airbags that we use for lifting. So if car rolls over or somebody's trapped under something, we use these pneumatic airbags to lift the uh, the vehicle. And then this last year, we we've been coming up against this for a while and it was in the capital plan. Our, our self-contained breathing apparatus, the, the air packs that you see, it looks like a missile on the back of the guy uh, going into the fire. They contain room air, they atmospheric air. It's not oxygen, it's air, but we have a compressor in the building that compresses the air, puts it in the bottle, and that's how we breathe in fires. So those have a shelf life. They're, um, the bottles themselves are only good for uh, 15 years, and we were coming up to the 15-year mark on the bottles. And because the air packs were bought with the bottles, they were actually three. Uh, there's a standard done by the National Fire Protection Agency Association NFPA and your air pack shouldn't be more than three standards old. And we came into the third standard this last year. We wrote a grant. We were able to get a grant for four hundred twenty-nine thousand dollars from the feds to replace all of the air packs, all of the bottles, and the compressors and both stations. And that was, it was, it, we were able to do it in the grant. It was, um, it was about six hundred thousand dollars in a capital plan when the money came down and everything else ended up being a little bit less, but it was all funded through a grant. The town had to kick in 5%, which was about $20,000 total. Um, So that was huge, you know, to be able to take that off of the capital plan. And then we did it again this year. uh, All of our radios, both police and fire radios operate on a system that's maintained by the, the Commonwealth. That system's being upgraded and all our radios, typical in today's world, the technology doesn't work with the new system. So the state actually has money, $25 million to upgrade the system of which um, they'll replace all of our radios or not replace all of them. They're, they're actually, um, you they give you a, a certain amount toward a radio replacement and then the town has to make up the rest. But we had a million dollars in the budget over the next five years. One of my Collateral duties uh, when I was deputy chief, and actually, my entire time here has been to uh, maintain radios. When uh, Chris Clark was a town administrator, he put me in charge of radios for the town. And so, because of that, managing the project for police and fire, we had put a million dollars in a capital plan for the next five years to upgrade the radios. Well, with this grant from the state, this program through the state, we were able to do the whole thing police and fire radios in the first year for uh, just about two hundred, a little over $200,000. So That's a huge bonus, being able to, to wow. take that off the town's plate and, and have the state pay for it. We also wrote a grant to try and replace the fire department radios in total through um, that same fire act grant that we use for the SCBA this year. If that's successful, then that number will come down even more um, from that $200,000, it'll be even less because we'll just have to worry about the police radios and the fire radios we'll do through the grant. So we're very, very aware of um, whatever opportunities we can to take that burden off the taxpayer, because we know we're an expensive department to operate. And while we can justify the needs um, it's, you know, it's sometimes it's the taxpayers may have trouble with reconciling, geez, I pay so much money to to live here. What do I get for those dollars? So we're always cognizant of, of what our impact is, to the community and trying to reduce it, which also goes back to the ambulance billing. I talked about that briefly, um, and and it's not something like feel very strongly that nobody should ever worry about not being able to pay their ambulance bill when they call nine one one. There's there are methods in place to abate your bill if you can't afford it if your insurance doesn't cover it, but there's also a program out there uh, that we've taken advantage of. And this will be the third year uh, this year called, um, I can only remember the initials of it. It's a CPE program, but essentially it's through MassHealth and it allows us to determine what our actual costs of running the ambulance is versus what we were paid through Medicare and Medicaid. And then bill, we get compensated for the difference. So the first year we did it, we got about $120,000. Last year, we got about 160 and we're aligned to get another 160 this year. So again, we wherever we can find revenue sources, we try and uh, we try and take advantage of it wherever we can find something to offset an expense. We try and take advantage of it. So we try to reduce everything that we can do to, you know, minimize the impact on the taxpayer while still running the department um, as, as we need to, and effectively as we, as we have to.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that every department head can relate to the need to balance providing services um, to the residents with that cost and the financial implications of that but it sounds like you you guys have found some really creative ways to offset those costs through the use of grants and that's fantastic it's great that they're out there it's great that you've identified them and that
1: we've yeah and i think the the reality of that also is that if we weren't able to there's probably you know there are things that we would do without excuse me which doesn't mean that we wouldn't still be able to come to work and do our jobs but we wouldn't do it as well and i think as fire chief certainly as deputy chief, you know, paramount to me is the safety of the community, but also the safety of, of the firefighters that serve the community. So, you know, when you start getting into, well, we're going to be able to do it, but we're not as safe or not as effective as we could be, those, those, then you start to wrestle with some of those decisions. And we've been blessed. This town has been very supportive, and, and I've always appreciated the, the support that we get from the community. The fleet is in good condition, which wasn't always the case. We went through a period of time where we were buying used fire trucks and, and cobbling things together, but we've been able to upgrade the fleet. And really, the, the, the last piece of that fleet upgrade that we need to do is replacing the ladder truck, which is in this year's cap- or in the capital plan, was supposed to be on uh, last year's town meeting when we moved the meeting to September. We had to take it off because there wasn't going to be a ballot question afterwards to be able to fund it. Um, so it's, it's back there again. And I realize that it's, it's a huge ask of the community, especially during these COVID times when everybody's, you know, budgets are tight, but it's also something that we, we took advantage of an opportunity to, um, well, let me explain the, the what we ended up doing. So two years ago in 2019, we were supposed to replace an engine. We delayed that a year and we moved the ladder, which we were supposed to uh, replace in 2024 up a year, up two years. So the plan was in 2020 to replace um, the engine and the ladder with one vehicle called the Quint. So essentially it's a it's an engine with a ladder on it or a ladder with a pump on it, however you want to look at it, but it does both jobs. So the, the there's two pluses to this. Number one, it saved the town about a million dollars in replacing both vehicles individually. And um, it also allowed us to reduce the fleet size by one. So we're, now you lose the maintenance of that other engine and the cost of, of maintaining and operating that vehicle. The other advantage was that the ladder truck was really starting to is really starting to become a little bit of a maintenance issue. It's, it's, it's almost 30 years old. Things are starting to break on it. So every year we have to have it tested. Every year we have it tested, they find things wrong. Then we have to send it out and get it fixed. You know, there's an impact to the, to the community of it not being available and of the cost. So that was the plan was was to do this quint. Um, the selectman asked the town administrator to come back to the department heads and say, you know, really evaluate debt exclusions and if we really had to have it. I met with the capital outlay committee again and uh, the town administrator. And yeah, we could we push this off. We absolutely could, but it will there'll be an impact. The truck will eventually cost more money to replace, and the repairs on the that engine that we kept and the latter are going to continue to increase. So, you know, I think we've always tried to look at, you know, there was an idea where we, we reduce the fleet, we drove the cost down, and we were able to do two things for one, where we, you know, we recognize the impact of the taxpayer, but we also need to replace vehicles that we need to replace so that we can keep doing our job.
0: Sure. Yeah, and that involves a lot of, like, weighing risks and benefits, the risks of, not replacing that vehicle and the long-term implications financially, um, and the benefits to taking advantage of an opportunity to um, yep. cut and, some of that. Cost. You know, it,
1: it, operationally, it's a, it, it'll be a significant yeah. change for us. So we currently have four engines, is two engines in each station. The primary engine is you know operated by the on-duty shift, and then as we have a building fire or a lot multiple incidents come in, the, the backup engine gets manned. In the event that the primary engine goes out of service, what the second engine in that station becomes a primary engine. Now, in this case, in headquarters, mm-hmm. the second engine would actually be the ladder truck, and that involves us rethinking how we operate. Right. But we were willing to, and this you know this all right. started when Chief Clark was still here. But we were willing to, you know, change how we operate in order to put what we felt was a better program before the townspeople and also had a, you know, a, a result cost savings uh, with
0: it. Right. Well, I guess if the last year has taught us anything, rethinking how we do things has become something that we've gotten more adept at over the last year throughout this pandemic. So I'm sure that you guys will come up with um, modifications to your operations to make that all work if, if that goes through and that's what happens in the future. Um, Dave, you've given us a fantastic overview of the fire department, I really appreciate the time that you've taken to, you know, record this segment and to discuss so much of what you have going on. Um, do you have any final thoughts or are there things you'd like to share with listeners about how they can stay informed or, you know, um, so I think that that's, you know, I, that you guys are we, doing? we talked
1: about this in the beginning and I think this is an opportunity that, I, you know, I appreciate this opportunity um, to talk about the fire department because I don't think we always do a good job of explaining, to the taxpayers and the citizens, what we do, you know, and and sure everybody knows all the fire department, they go on ambulance calls to go to fires, you know, whatever, but I don't think people always understand all the other stuff that goes on. And, and that happens with all the other departments as well. So this is a great opportunity. Uh, we are pretty active on social media, our Facebook page and Instagram for the people that follow those. And we try and put, you know, relevant information out there when we either have incidents or, um, you know, stuff that's going on, just share fire safety tips, things like that. And we're trying to ramp that up a little bit more. I'm trying to get some more people involved so we can put some more consistent content out there. But I would I would say that if anybody has ideas on how we can get information out better, you know, whether they want a newsletter or something like that, we're, I'm open to, to whatever we can do because at the end of the day, I'm proud of the department. I'm proud of the people that work here and what they do. And, and having an opportunity to share that with the public is um, – it's something I, I, I value doing. So if anybody has a, an idea, I'd be interested to hear it.
0: Great. All right. So I'll make sure that I touch base with you before we publish this. And we'll put links in the show notes to your social media pages and contact information and all those sorts of things. so okay. that people great. can Reach out and stay connected. Thanks for listening to this segment of the Know Your Town series. We hope you enjoyed it and learned a little something new in the process. Visit the links in the show notes for more information on the resources discussed in each episode and to sign up for alerts via the Civic Ready Alert System. If you're considering joining a town board or committee, we hope you'll visit the Voter Information Committee page on the Town of Harwich website, where you'll find a list of current vacancies and information on how to apply. Thanks for listening and take care, everyone.